Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our reading for this weekend center around this great theme of the meal, of the banquet. You find it all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New. The church couples together a passage from the prophet Isaiah with a terrible parable from the New Testament. Both sides now are very important to get. Go back to the Isaiah reading. We find a description here of God's holy mountain. Much goes on in that holy mountain. We know that it's a place of instruction. We know it's a place of peace and nonviolence. That's where we beat the swords into plowshares and the spears into pruning hooks. But in Isaiah's vision, the holy mountain is also a place of a sumptuous, rich banquet. Juicy, choice meats and pure wine is served. The banquet. We find this theme now reiterated all throughout the Old Testament. Remember the book of Proverbs. We hear that God's wisdom pictured as a kind of Yiddish mama, like this very welcoming uh, woman, spreading out her sumptuous meal and mixing her wines. That's Proverbs chapter 9. This image is developed even further in the prophets. Hosea and Ezekiel talk about the wedding feast. And we find in those lyrical meditations in the Song of Songs this line, Eat, friends, drink, become drunk of my beloved. What does God want? God wants to share his life with us. Does God need the world? No. As our tradition has said from the beginning, as the Bible says from beginning to end, God does not need the world. Therefore, God makes the world out of purest love, simply a desire to share his life with us. Once we realize this, we know that grace is flowing through us, then we become conduits of grace. We take on the qualities of God and we become gracious sources of life to others. God's life flowing into us and then overflowing through us to others. What could be a better symbol of that than the banquet, the meal, the festive gathering, Everybody in good cheer, good food and wine being served, everybody laughing together, happy. What could be a better symbol of what God wants for us? That's why the Bible uses it, I think, over and over again. Where did our trouble begin on the biblical reading? It began with a bad meal. God wants the banquet, but Adam and Eve seize at the knowledge of good and evil. They seize at the fruit of that tree. They eat so as to feed themselves. In that bad meal, that self-absorbed meal, God's desire for us is thwarted. 
and human suffering commences. Now can you see why, throughout salvation history, God plants this image and reality of the meal to counteract the effects of sin. As he liberates the Israelites from slavery, he commands them to eat a meal. The Passover supper is a kind of sacrifice. The the animal is sacrificed, the blood placed on the lintels of the house, but it's also a meal. That lamb is consumed. This meal, this festive gathering, which draws Israel together, becomes the mark and symbol of Israel throughout the ages. And therefore, should we be surprised that in the life and ministry of Jesus, meals play a very central role. If Jesus is himself the incarnation of Yahweh, who wants nothing else than to sit down in festive gathering with his people, we shouldn't be surprised that meals are so central to him. Remember in Luke's account of Christmas, they wrap Jesus in swaddling clothes and they place him in a manger. Manger, manger in French, to eat. It's a place where the animals eat. From the very beginning of his life, Jesus is offered as food for the world. When Jesus begins his public ministry, we find him again and again sitting down in open table fellowship with those around him. I've mentioned to you before, I think, the table was the place, especially in Jesus' time, where the stratifications and divisions of society were most on display. Who could be invited? Who was welcome? Who was excluded? Who was worthy of sitting down at the table? Where did they sit at the table? All of that was on display. And Jesus consistently undermined it by his revolutionary practice of open table fellowship. Could saints come? Mm Mm-hmm. Sinners, too. Could the righteous come? Yeah. But so could tax collectors and prostitutes. Could the healthy come? Yes, but so could the sick. Jesus, by his inclusive table fellowship, is undermining the practices of the time. But more importantly, he's expressing and embodying the very desire of the God of Israel to eat and drink with his people. Notice, too, how very often in his healing ministry, food and eating plays a role. He calls Lazarus from death. Lazarus, come forth. He gives the command to untie him and let him go free. And then we hear he sits down at a banquet with him. What a beautiful symbol, isn't it? All of us are Lazarus in one sense. We're all dead in our sin. Christ comes as the forgiver of sins. And he says to all of us, come out. He says, unwrap them, let them go free. And then he sits down at a banquet with us, sharing his life. When he raised the daughter of Jairus, remember that beautiful scene? He says, Talita kumi, little girl, get up. And the 12-year-old girl rises from the dead, and Jesus gives her back to his parents and then says, give her something to eat. So the desire of Yahweh, once he's raised his people from death, to bring them back to the sacred banquet. Ah, then that story, so powerful, mentioned in all the Gospels, the feeding of the multitudes. 
Jesus gathers the people. He teaches them. But then he knows they're hungry. He's moved with pity. That's the heart of Yahweh himself. That's the heart of the God of Israel himself, being moved with pity. Because his people are not sharing in the sacred banquet. What does he do? He takes the few things given to him and he multiplies them unto the feeding of the 5,000. That's the God of Israel. Now incarnate in Christ. Doing what he's always wanted to do from the beginning. Feeding his people. In Jesus' parables, it plays a role. Remember the prodigal son. At the center of that story is a great banquet offered by the father. The prodigal son had run away. Like Adam, he had grasped at godliness. Give me my share coming to me. He had interrupted the flow of grace. And so his life had had become embittered. He was living in a land of famine. Then he comes back. To his father, and the first thing the father says after forgiving him is, is kill the fatted calf, call the musicians, we'll have a banquet. And then the older brother, for his own reasons, resists the celebration. Well, see, that's the story of God in relation to us. He wants the banquet, we tend to resist it. Jesus' life and ministry are gathered up, summed up, they come to their climax the night before he dies. When he sits down with the twelve, evocative of Israel, he's Yahweh, longing to gather his people. And he feeds them at a banquet. Everything I've been talking about from the Old Testament through the New is summed up here. Everything Yahweh always wanted to do to feed his people now reaches its full expression because Jesus feeds them not with ordinary food, but with his own life, blood, and with his own living flesh. God feeding his people with the substance of his own life. That's what the Bible's been about from the beginning. And now we see it in its full expression. On the road to Emmaus, after the resurrection, Jesus walks with the disciples. He opens up the scriptures to them. Their hearts are burning within them. But then when they press him, he stays And he has a meal with them. And in that meal, they recognize who he is. They recognize him as the risen Christ because there he's doing the most characteristic act of Christ, gathering his people, feeding them with his body and his blood. Do you remember in that wonderful scene of the risen Christ? After the disciples are are overwhelmed when they see him. And he says simply, do you have something here to eat? There's always that instinct in Christ to teach in the context of a meal, to gather his disciples around a meal. Now, friends, in light of all of this that I've been saying, all these themes of the meal, we have to look at the parable for today. It is, as I mentioned, a terrible parable. It's about the invitation to the banquet. A king gives a banquet for his son. Well, there's God the Father inviting everybody to the banquet in honor of his son, Christ, Who's been invited? All of us. All of us. Good news? Yep, sure is. It's the best news possible. But we're free. I mentioned last week, we're not puppets. God's not a puppeteer. We're not slaves to a tyrant. No, no, God gives us the freedom to act, to choose, to decide, to set our own path. Do some respond to the invitation? Yes. 
but many, many do not anomalously. And what happens? Well, in terms of this parable, terrible things. Jesus speaks of, of the king destroying cities and killing people and so on. Don't over-literalize that, but take it as a very powerful spiritual symbol. When we refuse the invitation to this great banquet, then, like the prodigal son, we move into the land of famine. Then, like that elder brother, we move into bitterness and self-reproach. This, friends, is the great decision. Every other decision you make in life, your job, whom you marry, uh, uh, the, the secular path you take, etc., they're all secondary to this one. Will you come to the banquet or not? Everything else is commentary. Will you come and sit down at this great meal offered by Christ? Or will you refuse? Just a last thought. Is all of this summed up in the Mass? Yes. The Mass is many things. It's a sacrifice, that's true. Many other things. But the Mass is also a meal. It's the place where everything I've been saying comes together. When Yahweh once again offers this feast in honor of his son, and he invites to it all of us. 75% of Catholics in this country don't come to Mass. I wonder if this parable for today sheds light on that fact. Brings into relief the terrible truth of this fact. The only decision that finally matters, do I come to the banquet or not? That's what weighs upon all of us. Come to the feast. Come to the feast. God is spreading out this great banquet to share his life with us. Coming or not, that is the only great decision. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you.